Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. All right, it's Thanksgiving Eve, and it's Scoops with Danny Mac. My name is Dan McLaughlin. Welcome into the show, Scott Manziara. It is his final show. Bon voyage. Final time on hashtag scoops with Danny Mac. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on your new gig. I appreciate that, man. Going to miss you. I'm really going to miss you. I'm going to miss everybody here, man. You I, do a I, hell of a job, man. It's, it's an unbelievable family here. Seriously. It's, great. it's a great place. 101 ESPN. Uh, coming up on the show, we'll visit with Brian Walton. So all baseball this hour, for the most part, you can jump in on the text line 65780. Get to some of those probably later in the show if something uh, strikes you and you want to text me. A lot of times I answer during breaks and that kind of thing just directly to you on the text line. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I do want to touch, though, Uh, on the college football playoff. Last night, college football playoff committee released their first rankings of the season. Fourth place, Ohio State. Third, it's Clemson. Second, Notre Dame. Alabama, no surprise there. They are first. And then on the outside looking in, you have Texas A&M, and then followed by Florida. And so Gary Barta is the guy that's kind of running this committee. It was interesting to watch last night. They all were socially distanced and then answering those questions. And he was asked about A&M and Florida and why the Aggies ahead of the Gators. They're both terrific teams. Uh, Florida is, is playing at a high level. Kyle, uh, Kyle Trask is playing a Heisman uh, level as well. Uh, but when it came down to it, they were close enough. Uh, you know, the only loss that Texas A&M has is to number one ranked Alabama. And uh, as a committee, we just decided that uh, that they deserve to be a, a, a nod ahead. And a question for many. Why is BYU so low? Well, the, the committee is very impressed with uh, with BYU. Zach Wilson is uh, definitely a Heisman candidate playing at a high level. Uh, they've beaten uh, three or four teams above 500. But as you look at their schedule, and that's certainly where the committee went and, and looked at their, their best win uh, is against Boise State. Boise was shorthanded in that game. Uh, so the, the committee is very impressed with BYU, but certainly schedule compared to the teams around them came into play. The bottom line, this has not been easy for Gary and the committee. Well, it, it's definitely a challenge. We knew that coming in. You know, you're evaluating teams that have played three games against teams that have played eight or nine games. But uh, uh, we embraced the, uh, the chaos and, and uh, really had a, a really good time uh, putting this first ranking together. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was a blast. Anyway, but he had to go on there and, and say his piece, and I thought they did a pretty good job with this. I, I would have taken some of those you know, non-Power 5 teams and moved them up because we're in COVID-19 and 2020 is wacky anyway. BYU's got a problem because they really haven't played anybody, as he mentioned. Um, the one I'm intrigued with would be Clemson-Notre Dame. If you can set that up again, which currently standing you would have that clemson notre dame would be fun with trevor lawrence back that's been the game of the year in notre dame uh, in south bend that was just a terrific college football game so i'd love to see that and right now i don't see anybody beating alabama after watching ohio state and how they were up by three scores at home against indiana and then they got torched I'm still going with Alabama. I think they're the best team, clearly. This doesn't feel like one of those years where it's, oh, Alabama's just obviously going to win it all. I, I just haven't gotten that feeling from them. In years past, I've been like, okay, yeah, oh, I have more faith Alabama. in them. I have more faith in them this year than ever. Really? I do. I, I think the reason that uh, I would default to say Alabama is that I don't think the competition is close enough to take them down. I don't think that they're better than they've ever been. I just have questions on Clemson. 
I have questions. I have a lot of questions on Notre Dame, even though that they beat Clemson. You didn't and even have them in your top four. Who? You. Notre Dame? Yes. Oh, I know. I still don't have them finishing in the top four. It's going to be hard for them not to. Obviously, since they beat Clemson, they're going to have to lose two games. Scotty. Otherwise, they're in. All right. So we got college basketball tipping off tonight. Good luck to all the colleges, the universities, and the high schools to try to get through what will be a very, very tough season. Gino Ariyama, the outstanding coach at UConn, talked about the dilemma of playing and then just trying to get through the next three months. Everybody's going to be in this in, in this scenario at some point, either already has been, is, or will be. You can just pretty much predict that. Is there a way to keep it out? Uh, no, I don't think there is. I don't because if there was, everybody would be doing it. So there is no. There is no magic something that we could say, okay, everybody's going to do this, and now, boom, we don't have to deal with it anymore. Uh, until we have a vaccine and everyone's been vaccinated, see, that's, those are two separate things. Uh, I think we're going to be struggling. You're a good guy to ask about this. So you're heading to Chaffetz tonight. Again, my man here is calling on ESPN Plus at 6 the start of the Billiken season, SIUE against the Billikens. Billikens then again play on Friday, I believe, against LSU. So what is it like going down to Chaffetz? No fans, right? Correct. So there's going to be no fans, obviously. And then after that, from what I understand, we will not be calling the game on the floor. We'll be up somewhere in a box or somewhere else around the stadium because you don't want to be too close. Um, I've also been uh, informed that there will be masks worn at all times. I honestly am not 100% sure if we'll be doing the games without a mask on. So that's going to be something that I'm uh, intrigued to see tonight. But I've called games where you're up in the rafters for I have basketball. It, it's, it helps sometimes. I think I like to hear you know the shoes squeaking. And, of course, I love to hear the crowd behind. But it's, it's going to be a challenge. But I'm excited, and I hope every college basketball fan is too because we're going to make it a great season. Um, you're going to hear the, uh, the squeaking on the floor. With no fans, doesn't matter if you're up in the rafter. You're going to hear that. Um, it's going to be intriguing, I think. I was thinking about this with baseball. We were talking about no fans, right, when the the game was coming back. And Joe Girardi had mentioned being a former catcher. He said sometimes a catcher will give away where he's at by his movement and his spikes on the dirt. You know, and so that's how much you can hear in a, in a stadium. Now, I'm assuming they're going to have piped in a uh, crowd because you don't want it to be completely empty, empty and dead. I, I just not not a good thing. So I'm assuming that they'll, they'll have the piped in crowd, which will, will add to it. And they'll probably have the, the pep band stuff during breaks and, and, and whatnot to give it as much of an atmosphere as you can. But man, college coaches scream Think about that. They are screaming all the time. I mean, those guys, get out, 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 you know, get over there. That, well, that's an element I hadn't thought about. Because oh, yeah, you're going to hear that. Think about that with college basketball. Think about that and then, like, the dump button. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear No, it. you're not going to have a dump button. But who, Not me, but I'm saying if you're they're going to be cursing, if they're yeah, going to be cursing, yeah. it's going to go. All right, subscription. It's fine, right? This isn't talk radio, man. <laughs> it is what it is. It's live TV. Do I? So, Dan, tell me, if I, if I hear a couple of F-bombs, do I just keep going? Do I acknowledge it? Do I not um, say anything? Well, they they in, in baseball games, like a guy makes, you know, he strikes out and he boom, boom, boom. I always just say sometimes uh, after the bad words, I say, clearly Joe Blow is unhappy with that at bat. And I do it like that. You know, they want us to apologize for the player. And I'm like, no, I'm not apologizing for the player. He's the one that said it. No, 
All right. Well, that's some good advice. I'll take that for tonight. No. Um, but I do understand. I mean, the FCC regulations, I guess, and you, you're supposed to apologize in general. You're supposed to apologize. We're sorry that our microphone's caught up and yada, yada, yada. So anyway, right. but you're going to hear that's going to be interesting here in the college coaches. So I'm looking forward to that. Appreciate you, Danny. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. It's a Wednesday, as we always do. We visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com, and Brian is with me every single Wednesday during the season and in the off season. And it's the, uh, what's Thanksgiving Eve, Brian? How are you? And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. Same to you, Dan. And it's always a, a great time of year to be festive with family and friends, although more on a limited basis, obviously. But even during these times, there's still baseball news to talk about. There is some baseball news. Uh, a lot of it has to do with things that aren't going on with the season right now in 2020 leading into 2021. But I do have a question about the Hall of Fame. I'm so curious about the perspective of those that cover the game, uh, their thoughts on the Hall of Fame. Where are you right now with some of these guys, like a Kurt Schilling, the steroid guys, Scott Rowland moving up, those kind of things, as you look at the the ballot and how it may unfold uh, this year going into the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, last year was such an interesting case where – Derek Jeter, of course, was there on his first ballot and just fell like one short, you know, one vote short of unanimous. And then at the other end of the spectrum was Larry Walker and his last chance. And, you know, just got in, I think, 76, 77 percent. But it was you know great to see the former Rocky and, and, and ended his career with the Cardinals. This year, there isn't anybody as obvious as Derek Jeter. Uh, Kurt Schilling is the one who's probably closest. And Schilling realistically might have gotten in the Hall of Fame sooner if, you know, Schilling, uh, based, just based on Schilling, the, the baseball player, Schilling, the person is, you know, is quite a controversial matter. But he'll, he'll, he'll likely get in. Clemens and Bonds have run neck and neck. They're right around 60 percent. And, you know, it's going to be touch and go as to whether they get in. Um, and then you had the next tier down is kind of Omar Vizquel, who is obviously a great defensive shortstop for many years, and, and Scott Rowland. And Scott Rowland, I think, moved up about 10% last year, 15%. You know, one of the one of the fastest risers. And the good news for Scott Rowland is he's this this will only be his fourth year of the 10 allowable on the ballot. So I think Scott Rowland's going to get in, not, not in 2021, but maybe 2022, 2023. I think Scott Rowland's going to be, you know, right up there. Uh, you know, among the Hall of Fame candidates. And I, I think that's great. I, I do too. I think he's a Hall of Famer. So I'm in the prime of his career. Best third baseman defensively I've ever seen. And, you know, Ted Simmons said, hey, bloggers, writers to an extent, but those that really get into sabermetrics, they were the ones that helped me. The analytic guys got me in. And I think if you look at Scott Rowland and you start breaking down what he did defensively, analytically, and with a younger group of voters coming in, taking a harder look at that type of player through those lenses, um, I think Scott Rowland moves up, and I think he'll be a Hall of Famer. I really do. Yeah, that, that definitely helps him. And I've, I've had friends talk to me about, you know, uh, about Rowland because of the shortness of his career. But if you look at the body, and there's no doubt, you know, his shoulder injury hurt him, or, you know, he might have been thought up there alongside the types of, like, Brooke Robinson and, Mike Schmidt, obviously not quite the same power as Schmidt, but, you know, the greatest third baseman who were able to play 20 years where Roland, Roland only had, you know, what, 12, maybe 12 or so, you know, peak, peak years. But, but Scott Roland was such a force offensively and defensively as well. And he, you know, certainly checks the boxes in terms of playing with, with, uh, you know, high quality teams. So I, I think, and, and the measurements, of course, you know, and as you mentioned, 
uh, showed his strength defensively, which is much more difficult to measure than, you know, the simple things, how many home runs did he hit, you know, how many RBI did he have. So, but again, I, I, yeah, the voters are definitely recognizing it. And I, I think it also helps that when you look at the guys coming on to the ballot this year, there aren't any surefire guys. There aren't any Jeters. There aren't any Mariano Rivera's. There are probably aren't any guys really coming in this year that are ever going to make it, to be honest. So that means the guys who are incumbent candidates, you know, will get a little boost. Yeah. And then the steroid guys are going to be off the ballot here in a couple of years, and then it's going to open it up and there's going to be that gap that he will get uh, more of the majority of the votes. Now, I want to ask you, I, I had a visit with Paul DeYoung, great visit with him, feeling healthy, feeling good, getting ready to train and, and go down to Jupiter and, and work in the complex, by the way, uh, as long as there's limited numbers there and they're able to do that and work out with Jose Okendo. He's hopeful that he can do that. Um, I'm curious what you think about the, the, the middle infield right now, the Cardinals, whether it be at the major league level or even the depth in the minor leagues, where, where, you know, no Colton Wong now. So where is the depth right now with the Cardinals up the middle at second base and at shortstop? Well, you, you definitely hit a soft area, Dan. Uh, you mentioned Colton Wong leaving Brad Miller left as well. So there's, you know, two guys out of your middle infield. And then Matt Schrock was uh, the Cardinals tried to slip him through waivers to uh, use his 40-man roster spot on another player. They lost him as well. So there's three players, you know, out of your middle infield, either at St. Louis or at Memphis, who, uh, you know, who are gone. And so what you've got left is Edmundo Sosa, who's a guy that we, you know, completely forgot about in 2020. Uh, he had, he was down in the alternate camp. He's on the 40-man roster, but he was one of the cases who reported, reportedly, uh, you know, struggled a little more due to COVID. And so he never got a look in St. Louis uh, in 2020, but he's a guy who's out of minor league options. And so in 2021, he'll be sort of like Ron Hill Ravello was in 2020. He has to make the major league team or they have to either put him through waivers or, or make him available, you know, make him available to another team. So chances are good that Sosa will be the guy that will come into camp again, assuming they don't sign anybody that is, you know, going to be the lead for the utility infield spot. But to answer your question, you know, who's the next star coming up through the minor league system in the middle infield? There isn't really anybody. Um, whether I'm talking, whether you're talking second base or shortstop, Delvin Perez was a great hope. Uh, you know, he's never played a game above class A yet. He hasn't even played, played high A. He's already been around so long. He's exposed to the, in the rule five draft in December, although he, he won't be taken by another organization. Then you probably have to go all the way down to uh, a shortstop who played in Johnson city um, this last year. Well, actually in, in 2019. And here I'm talking about heel. Uh, Benji Heal, G-I-L, that's how he spells his last name. His dad was a, a former major league shortstop. And uh, Benji, but I mean, he's, you know, multiple years away from the major leagues. He's he's one of the players who is playing this winter uh, in Mexico, uh, trying to build his skills. And, you know, he's going to be certainly a, a guy that will probably play shortstop, I would think, in, in Class A in uh, in 2020. Ron, Ron Hill, yeah, Ron Ravello, John Nagowski, Sosa, Heal, uh, some others are playing winter ball. Are they able to get through this, Brian, right now with COVID-19, or is that starting to strike some of the winter ball areas? Yeah, it's interesting. The the, the first league that started up, you, typically the, the four big leagues are in the Dominican, Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela. And so far, uh, Mexico started up back in October, and there's a few cardinal. There's a few guys there, although they're 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 typically the less the lesser named guys. Heel is the is the big guy, a uh, big player there, and he's you know he's just 20 years old, and so he's still a, a young guy, and he wants to get that experience. But then the Dominicans started up a few weeks ago, and there, uh, as you mentioned, um, there are four cardinals on uh, one team, Aguilas, the Eagles, and that is uh, Ravello, Nagowski, as well as um, 
Edmundo Sosa, who we talked about before. And, uh, and uh, Julio Rodriguez is also in that league as a young catcher, uh, who is a guy who's expected to be a depth guy, probably at, at uh, AAA uh, this year. So, but the challenge is, and they've been playing and, and all, but two teams, not the teams that the Cardinals are on, have both had COVID outbreaks. And we're talking about uh, one team that had 13 players and another mm-hmm. team that had 10 players. So, you know, that's going to potentially affect their schedule. But, you know, they've got to do what they can to make sure that it, it doesn't spread or that will, you know, shut down winter balls just like it did MLB this summer. Absolutely. In terms of the Cardinals 40-man roster, there's been a little bit maneuvering with that. And that is big. You know, when you think about Rule 5 and you think about, uh, December 2nd, which is going to be a big day in this offseason when guys get tendered or non-tendered uh, with their contracts with various teams. It could flood the free agent market. So where are the Cardinals right now with their 40-man and some of the decisions that they made recently? Well, yeah, the, the, the first thing is uh, at the end of the season, all the players that were on the 45-day injured list, the long-term injured list, had to come back onto the major league roster. So those were the, those are the guys like like Hudson and, and um, John Brebby and all. You know Jordan Hicks, who who didn't play, they sort of get a roster deferment sort of during the season. But then in the winter, they have to come back on the forty man. But then all the free agents left, so Wong and Wainwright and Molina and Weeders, Brad Miller, they all came off the roster. But in order to make more room, the Cardinals also took uh, Nabil Chrismat, who who pitched in relief this year, Rob Kaminsky, the lefty, and then Schrock, as I mentioned, they all came off the roster. So that left the Cardinals. When you did all the plus and minuses, the Cardinals were at thirty seven. So that. They came up that brought them up to the Rule Five protection date, which was the which was the twentieth last Friday, and all organizations across Major League Baseball had to take prospects who have typically been uh, who have been through at least five minor league seasons. They are eligible to be taken by other teams unless they're placed on in the Rule Five draft unless they're placed on the forty man roster. So for the Cardinals, it was a it was a pretty easy pair of decisions, in that they had a couple prospects who were in their in their top ten at least according to our rankings. Uh, who who they added to the 40-man roster. And I'm talking about catcher uh, Yvonne Herrera and right-handed pitcher Angel Rondon. So those guys are now on the 40-man, so they can't be lost in the Rule 5, and the Cardinals are at 39. What that means is that the Cardinals can go into the Rule 5 draft, which will be held uh, a week from, I guess, December 10th. Uh, the Cardinals will be able to go into that draft and potentially take one player from another team if they so choose. Uh, they wouldn't have to. But then they could also use, of course, that 40-man roster spot potentially on uh, a free agent player like Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright or, or Joe Smith. But if they want to sign both Wainwright and Molina, they're going to have to clear another man off the roster at some point in time this winter. So there's more roster changes ahead. You know, when people hear the 40-man and a guy gets put on it, they're kind of like, oh, okay. Because I, I think the casual fan, the baseball fan, you look at the – the 25 or whatever it's going to be, the 26 or the 28-man roster, and that's your guy that you watch that night. You know, that's your team. But the 40-man roster can be a life-changing thing for a minor league player. I mean, it's a big deal to get on that 40-man roster. I mean, I've, I've talked to a number of guys saying, you know what that means? I don't have to get an off-season job. I might actually make some money now. So it's a big deal to go on the 40-man roster. Absolutely. And in, included in that, incumbent in that is an invitation to Major League Spring Training Camp. That's so, right. You know, when you're, when you're on a 40-man roster, you're now in the big leagues or you're one step away from it. And what it also means, though, is that a player's clock is ticking because once a player's on a 40-man roster, he only gets three seasons where he can go back and forth between the minor league and the majors. So, for example, in the case of Edmundo Sosa, who we were talking about, he's out of those three years now. So 
he's he's done. He the Cardinals can't just easily send him back to Memphis to start the 2021 season. So in those three years, those players, same with Justin Williams, who the Cardinals, you know, as you know, acquired a couple of years ago. So these guys have to now they're at the end of the room. They have to prove they're either major leaguers or they're going to lose their spot on the 40 man roster and potentially, you know, get picked up by another organization and leave the Cardinals. So there's this underlying you know, theme, not only do you have the new young guys, uh, the hard chargers like Rondon and, and um, Herrera, who are going to be in their first camp as 40-man rosters, you got the guys like Sosa and Williams who realize, hey, this is my last chance to make a huge impression in spring training. You know, I've got to make this team. I'll wrap it up with this, Brian. I'm enjoying the top prospect countdown. I get into it. I love it. Uh, so you're working on that. What are some of the other things you're working on at com? <clears throat> well, I've been working on a, a Rule 5 history to go back and talk about some of the great players who the Cardinals have lost in the rule five, as well as some of the players that they've picked up in the rule five and what's that's what that's meant to the organization. A lot of times they're, you know, they're the, the players are guys that you never hear of, but even in the, in the minor league phase, which is the, the next level down in rule five, there are players periodically who are picked up who contributed in the major leagues. Uh, and, and I'm talking about John Brebbia, for example, um, you know, who was a, who was a minor league rule five selection by the Cardinals back in uh in 2015 so there's an interesting history there and i think this year given the the financial pressures on the major league clubs that this rule five draft is going to be looked at as another way to sort of cheaply yep. restock rosters agree uh, that may, that maybe didn't get as much attention before but will this year hey great stuff as always brian we'll catch up next wednesday and have a safe happy thanksgiving tomorrow with you and yours and uh, appreciate you always doing this thanks so much talk to you again next week hey i've got to tell you about saliga they've been doing business out of the same location on gravoy since 1927 and they're celebrating over 93 years in business fourth generation family-owned business currently run by dan saliga now dan and his team they pride themselves on great customer service they offer 100 percent satisfaction guarantee the weather turning colder it's about time to turn on that furnace, and if you find that it's not working or not working efficiently, give Dan a call. Right now, Saliga, offering 36 months, no interest financing on any new furnace. 72 months, no interest financing on all new systems. Plus, they have American Standard Rebates and Amron Rebates. Saliga, heating and cooling, the air quality expert, and they have a special going on right now just for 101 listeners. Call and ask for the Danny MacDaddy Indoor Air Quality Special. Just mention my name. You'll receive duct cleaning, air scrubber, humidifier, blower wheel cleaning for only $16.95. Many listeners have taken advantage of this just by mentioning my name. They've come away satisfied. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. This covers up to 10 registers for duct cleaning and 2,500 square feet for humidification. Call Saliga today. Mention my name. The number to call, 314-481-7333, 314-481-7333, or visit SaligaHeatingAndCooling.com. We'll continue with the Cardinal conversation, the baseball conversation, as we'll visit with Paul DeYoung. The Cardinal shortstop will check in next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. One of the best shortstops in baseball, one of the best power-hitting shortstops in baseball is right here with the St. Louis Cardinals, and that is Paul DeYoung and Paul has been kind enough to join us right before Thanksgiving, and he's down in the state of Florida, where I'm assuming, Paul, it's, uh, first of all, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. How, how are things going? 
things are great. Um, happy to be in the state of my birth, uh, native Floridian. So ready to kind of get my my yearly cycle back in, uh, start increasing my workload and seeing family and you know getting ready for the spring training coming up. Hopefully we're as normal as we can be. Are you going to rub it in that it's nice and warm and sunny down in Florida when we're cold up here in November? Yeah, I just left uh, northern Wisconsin and we had kind of some up and down weather. I even got a week of 70s up there, but uh, no, I like the cold uh, at times. I wouldn't want to live there all year, but <laughs> it's good to visit. It, there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I got to ask you about the year for you personally. I mean, it was such a crazy year for baseball in general, whether you're a player, a fan, broadcaster, it doesn't matter. It was 60 games. It was a sprint to the finish. Um, and then I want to ask you individually how it was, but just in general, as you reflect now and kind of just think about what the season was like, how would you put it in perspective and just thinking about 2020? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of try to turn all the negatives into a positive. Um, I think we all kind of learned a lot, whether it's about ourselves or society in general or baseball or, you know, I think we all had a lot of learning opportunities this year. And for me personally, it, it came in the form of, you know, self, self-care self and health um, with diet and exercise and, and rest um, and priorities. And, you know, we really learned a lot about what's important to us uh, at this moment and kind of gave us a, a vision for the future. And so, you know, we, we struggled, but uh, we have to embrace those struggles because that kind of allows us for growth. So, you know, a life without struggle or hardship um, doesn't really entail much. So, you know, if we start embracing things like this and we, we were able to grow out of it. And so that's been kind of my whole spin on, on what's happened. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to, to have opportunity uh, moving forward to keep playing and health and all those things. So, you know, still a lot to look forward to and to be thankful for. As you reflect back on, on dealing with COVID-19, you were one of the players that, that went through it. What was that experience like? If you tried to explain it to somebody, what, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, personally, my my illness didn't last too long. Thankfully, I had a mild case, and you know, I think uh, overall, it was it was a tough year for us uh, to to really feel like a, a team. Um, I thought we, we were missing a lot of the balance points that we all have in our lives, whether it's you know going going to a restaurant when we get into a new city with the guys, and you know, the camaraderie effect of you know, just socializing and being away from the field. Um, I thought the isolation kind of hit pretty hard um, for me personally and, and some other of my teammates. So, you know, it was a lot to deal with. And it, it, it kind of sharpened us, I would say, at the field because it gave us, um, especially with limited time at the field, to, uh, you know, kind of prioritize what we needed to do to get ready for the games. And so, you know, I don't know how sustainable what last year what we went through I don't know how sustainable it is moving forward, but I know we, we learned a lot about ourselves. Um, me personally, um, you know, thankful that it didn't turn into anything too bad. And you know, I thought uh, overall I, I came back okay, and we just had a lot of games. I thought we all were a little worn out at the end. So, um, you know, we did our best to, to make that playoff run, and that was a lot of fun. I just thought we we ran into a little bit of a, an emotional uh, roadblock with uh, the Padres kind of bringing a little extra energy that we didn't quite have. And so, you know, it just hopefully like Yachty and some Wainwright say, uh, you know, when we lose in, in the playoffs, it's like, remember this feeling, remember watching them celebrate and thinking, well, when I'm working out this offseason, that it's going to be us 
we're the ones that are going to celebrate. And so, you know, con- constantly spinning things towards, you know, moving forward and, and progress and, and growth, I think, is the best mindset to have. How did your body react to to coming back from the illness? And, and what I mean by that, did you feel like you had to rush um, did it bounce back like you thought it would? Did you feel like you were normal again? Uh, how how was that when you when you came back? Yeah, I thought I thought by the time I came back, I was physically ready, and I thought I did a good job of um, of preparing myself for that coming back. Um, whether it was like my my workouts and stuff, um, and going down to Springfield to to rehab, and, and you know, uh, I think also being back with my team gave me a little extra burst of energy, especially only in a 60-game schedule. Um, you know, we knew we didn't have that many games to go, so we were able to kind of push through some things that, you know, in a 162-game schedule would have been a little more spread out. But overall, you know, I thought I felt fine coming back. Um, you know, I, I only didn't play one game, I think. That's uh, right. It was, yeah. It was, it was early on a doubleheader. You know, I still played that day, you know, against Pittsburgh. It was early on when I came back. And so, you know, really it was uh, kind of a, a, you know, a discipline and, and mind test really to be able to prepare my body and, and my mind to play the game every day with with uh, all those games, you know. Yeah. You, you mentioned something really interesting because you're such a smart guy. You're you're always thinking about an edge with your body and, and trying to get through 162 games. And you said you learned a lot about your body and diet and those kind of things. What what are some of those things that you learned? And maybe was it because of COVID-19 or just trying to survive the gauntlet of all those double headers and just keeping yourself fresh as much as you could? Yeah, and this has been kind of a path I've been on. And I, I would say it got magnified by this, uh, this year. Um, I think uh, I learned a lot about you know, quality diet, um, whether that's in organic foods or, you know, grass fed type stuff, um, you know, supplementing, uh, certain things like, uh, good oils, um, high in, high in omega, uh, six and nine fatty acids. And, um, you know, just little things that little tweaks that I made, uh, I really thought it made a difference in my energy level. And so, I just learned a lot about, you know, personal care. And I think that's where change always starts is with, with you. Um, if you want to change society first, you have to change yourself. And so, you know, just moving forward to be a better teammate and better player for this organization, I, I took it upon myself to learn more about what I can do. And so, you know, just with that general approach, um, you know, I've been still working on like the sound healing stuff and, and relaxation, meditation, breath work, um, diet, uh, especially important for rest. I mean, even little things like, uh, you know, blue, blue light filtering glasses. So they block out the screen light that can activate your awakened centers before bed, you know. So just trying to get more quality sleep and restful sleep so that I'm able to play uh, in a 60-game doubleheader type schedule that we did. Paul DeYoung is my guest, outstanding shortstop uh, of the Cardinals. I find it interesting going forward, and, and tell me what you think about this. I sometimes think prior to 2020, there's too much time spent at the ballpark, whether it's by the coaches or certainly the players, because I think guys just need a mental break. The game is a game of failure. The best in the world do it three out of ten times. It's it's really hard. It's a hard right. game to play. And when you play at your level, it's ridiculous. Best in the world are doing it. So sometimes it's good to get away from it. Do you, do you think we learned that maybe we spent too much time at the ballpark 
prior to this, or do we need to get back to some semblance of being there like the routine that you had prior to 2020? Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle, Dan. I think, uh, you know, there's days when when I want to get there early and get a lift in and then have some time after to kind of relax before the game. I think we've all adjusted to those, you know, get there at 1 o'clock for a, a 7 o'clock game. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly of the camp of doing what, doing what you need that day. And so I kind of like the spread out buses, you know, we're spreading people out, but giving us the option. So I really think that there, there is uh, something to be gained from, from being there for a while versus the short, you know, there's, there's something to be gained from both situations. And so you know, I really think that leaving up the option where, I mean, we're professionals, like you said, doing this at the highest level in the world. And so it, it, it it's easy to write off, those things and say oh you don't need that much time at the field but when we prepare so much to play the game I I think it changes the way you play in the game and so you know just limiting our preparation time uh, can can be a detriment at times and so I think what Schilt does well is he he will have us on certain days late report or normal report you know I think those are important for our long-term health but in the short term, uh, uh, I certainly thought we could have used some more time at the field, me personally, in that way. No, the, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. A um, couple more questions, and I'll let you go. Uh, I'm very curious about what, because if people are listening to this, they understand how well-spoken you are and, and the very bright approach that you take towards yourself and the game. So let's say we have 162 games next year. Do you start thinking about, okay, this is what, my goals are this is what i need to accomplish this is what i'm shooting for or is it something that you kind of start thinking about once you get into spring training yeah i mean uh, my mindset is constantly being developed uh um throughout the off season throughout the season um making adjustments i think we all agree that the only thing that stays the same is change and so being able to adapt to these new situations is a strength and it's a skill that needs to be worked on and so I thought we all kind of got thrown into the fire, which is honestly sometimes the best way to learn is to, to mess up, fail, and learn from what you did and, and make adjustments. And so, you know, that's why I kind of said all our our time this year, we learned what priorities we need to have in order to play the game at a high level and consistently. And so, you know, overall, learning, learning about ourselves individually will help us as a team. And so our goals always remain team goals, but you know, from, from my personal goals, I think it, it needs to be more um, discipline related because um, when you start talking about results that then you start seeking out the results in, in the wrong situations. And for example, you're, you're out of second and third with one out uh, base open, but you, you chase a couple pitches out of the zone and end up striking out and don't get your free RBI versus having the discipline approach to understand the game and to be able to take those pitches and let get a walk and let the person behind you drive in those runs. And so, you know, really, I think uh, personal goals can get in the way when you're, especially towards the end, when you're like, oh, I got to make up all this time to put up all these stats and numbers and, and get a better contract, this and that. I mean, you can really lose yourself, um, you know, trying to execute without the proper conditions. And so, I think that's one thing that I learned a lot from Paul Goldschmidt is just the way he approaches the game. He doesn't go up there looking for results. He goes up there as a hitter, at least, uh, you know, 
hammering balls down the middle and out over the plate thigh high. And he, if it's not there, he takes to the best of his ability. And so, you know, for me personally, I get in times where I, I, I want to get hits. I want to make up and do more and it ends up uh, hurting me in the end. And so, you know, I think for me it's consistency and that comes down to my routine and preparation and my mindset. And those are all things that you can constantly work on and build. And then the results and, and the personal stats will all take care of themselves at the end. Yeah, that's well said. And I'll wrap it up with this. Um, as you get going here in your, in your uh, off season and you start training for, for baseball activities, um, and we hope that we have spring training starting on time. Do you, do you go to Jupiter, and will you start working out at the complex? Are you allowed to do that? But uh, all those things, how can you get ready for baseball with the different jurisdictions and things that you may have to, to deal with like we all are dealing with in everyday life? Yeah, I'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be down in Jupiter pretty soon uh, after Thanksgiving, and they'll, uh, they're going to let me work out there, and you know I'll have a uh, – uh, strength coach there, uh, minor league guy, but guy I've worked with in the past, Dan Vega. And so, you know, we got a good rapport and uh, we really worked together well last year. And so, you know, I'm excited. Everything seems to be normal as far as my preparation. Um, you know, once more guys start showing up, then they might have to put in uh, some other restrictions. Um, but regardless, I think uh, we need to be relentless in our in our preparation. Just be coming off the short season, um, that we can make some gains in our personal, um, whether it's our, our, our body form, our shape, our, our, you know, our skill-related things, or even our mental stuff. I think there's room for growth and all that. And so, you know, I'm excited to, to get back to Jupiter and start, you know, doing my thing and definitely going to hit up Jose Okendo to try to get me some mm-hmm. early ground balls just because uh, he usually likes to wait till January, but I'm going to get him going in December here because you know, I, I see the time to, uh, to work on things, whether – Maybe it's not even with the glove yet or throw, definitely not throwing, but, you know, he can do some, like, cardio and, and footwork stuff that we can we can definitely work on. And so I'm excited to see Okendo and, and get down there and start, um, you know, getting to work. Hey, it's great to hear your voice, Paul. Thanks for doing this. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and holiday season, and uh, let's catch up soon and be safe. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on, and, uh, yeah, looking forward to a great 21. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything on today's show, check out the podcast brought to you by I Promise. And I Promise doing all the podcasts. And we had Paul DeYoung and Brian Walton on, so a lot of baseball talk. Uh, There is some news to get to here. Nick Saban is tested positive for COVID-19, as Scotty mentioned in the update that happened uh, about 25 minutes ago. That came out. Sad news in the world of soccer. Diego Maradona has passed away at the age of 60. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, one of the greatest soccer players that... uh, we have ever seen is passed away apparently at the age of 60 and Alex Ferrario is in and I wanted to get your thoughts on this Pierre Lebrun hearing that the NHLPA executive director Donald Fear NHL commissioner Gary Bettman haven't spoken since last Thursday which speaks to how the players feel regarding the NHL salary deferral slash escrow ass still time to, uh, still time to salvage this however I think next week is important the two leaders had had nearly daily dialogue most of the offseason so this communication stalemate is noteworthy for that reason. But again, I think we will see a way through this eventually. Uh, sounded like baseball in probably May. So here we go with hockey. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't 
give you the warm and fuzzy feelings that you should be having on the Thanksgiving week that hockey could be coming back. But I am with Pierre on this. I think this was inevitable. I think this was one of those things where the NHLPA got 60 guys together to talk. They kind of decided that this was unnecessary and they weren't going to. I think this is that week where both sides that week where both sides sit there and say, okay, how are we going to approach this next week? As Pierre mentioned, is going to be big when they get back to the table. They offer their renegotiation rights and see where they go from there what's coming up on the show we got uh i don't know if you've heard of him uh dan mclaughlin oh it's he, a big, he's a big, big guy big oh, guy yeah big, uh, cardinals really broadcaster so we're gonna get uh get some wow. information with him we got the voice of the blues chris kerber and benny heisler who usually is our thursday guest of sports illustrated we got some football things to talk about we got to get jamie's picks right for the pick'em challenge this week absolutely so happy thanksgiving everybody and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on 101 espn You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.